0: Welcome to the Masters of Automation podcast series. In today's episode, we have Antti Karalainen. Uh, welcome Antti, thanks for joining the episode.
1: It's good to be here.
0: So Antti is the founder and CEO of Robocorp, a San Francisco and Helsinki based company that set out to change the licensing and delivery model of robotics process automation with open source technologies. Uh, We're very excited to speak to you today. I have a packed agenda around how the RPA world is going to evolve, how your personal story that led you to start Robocorp, and and particularly emphasizing on the licensing model as well as being open sourced. And then we'll dive into a little bit of the broader industry topics, like where the RPA is going next and where the industry is going next, especially with the intersection of AI and, and the recent developments in the generative tech space. Um, so to kick things off, um, Antti, what, what led you to RP and automation? Like, when, and uh, what led you to create Robocorp?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, everyone has has their unique story here, but I think nobody who's following the space when it took off, you know, couldn't couldn't notice how fast it was growing. So that's what drew my attention. Uh, I come from an engineering background myself, so so first I. I kind of look at RPS, huh? That's weird. Uh, you know, you're doing UI automation mixed with uh kind of deeper automation at the same time. What are the use cases? What are what, what's the value is providing? And after investigating into that kind of more deeper, I you know realized that it's something that every large company will do at at some level. And and then uh with my background, I, I could see that. Uh, I had some exposure to the QI test automation world, so I can see that going from these uh, desktop use cases, it'll be the first wave, but then we're going to see a wave into more complex back-office use cases and then start really thinking that what, what should a developer tool look like if if we build it for, for the automation professionals and, and approach it from that side of the, the world instead of starting with the simplistic use cases in mind, kind of record and playback type of of things. So, you know, with with that observation, um, I had some background in in open source projects, um, namely Robo Framework, uh, which is a Python-based keyword-driven framework. And I was able to connect some dots and, you know, thought that there would be something behind it and started exploring it, you know, saw customer traction with the solution, uh, so also, what what it actually takes to build a platform like this, it's not a, a trivial feat in 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 any way, especially when you're serving the enterprise uh, as your customer base. So kind of one thing led into another, and and you know I was really compelled to start the company. I was never actually like planning as a as a career move to start a startup company. That wasn't something that I I, I was sort of you know it's a it's a great thing to do obviously but it wasn't something that i i was like i had to start a company how could i start a company but it, it sort of came to me in in a way that i couldn't just uh, uh look away from it
0: mm-hmm. you've seen the opportunity as well as getting your background that led you to wait there could be something to build here and, and, and then and then address a pain problem that the users have and yeah and In terms of the community, it's interesting as well. Um, So I like to ask because it's an open source software, you'll be able to have anyone come in um, with Python background and whatnot and start building. So how 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 is the community look like at Robocorp? Um, There, I would assume they're mostly um, developers with some background in Python and be less like on like the citizen development, (laughs) Mm -hmm. as well.
1: You would be surprised. You would be surprised how mixed it is. We have people with accounting background who who came into the, the tech and started using it. So, so it's surprisingly not as, as sort of pro developer heavy as as you would imagine. Um, so RPA obviously has the promise of of being a rapid development tool. So so. The project should take you know days or, or, or weeks rather than months. So so obviously the, the emphasis is on a sort of ease of use and, and rapid iteration. So so um, you know, oftentimes a person with in depth software skills might overlook the stack and say, "Hey, I'm, I mean I can build this with Python. Why should I use the Robocop stack?" and and kind of not see all the all the things that we've built into it which makes it actually super uh good for even even the pro developers so so we have you know people from mixed backgrounds all the way from the citizen developers to like really experienced software engineers uh using it in and the, the more experienced people are actually using it in some really creative ways as well so so that the the stuff that we have on the tech side is that kind of the Core open source stack, which is a tool chain uh, that manages your your bot environments, your your you know building and running the bot, how you set up the project, how you how how you go about and and um, operate the project, and then you have Python in there, a sort of a natural uh, base platform, and then as an abstraction layer, you have Robo Framework, so people can build on Robo Framework layer, which is like the easy human readable, very high abstraction layer, or then you can build Python as, as well. And so you can kind of, you know, choose your own level. That's that's what we have for core open source and then developer tools wrapped around it. So VS Code as an extension. And then we also have the low code development platform Automation Studio That that's uh, actually now coming out of beta into general availability, but, but still very much in work in focus. We keep adding stuff on that weekly basis. Um, you know, the, really, the goal is to to make RPA development with the Python-based stack as as, as easy and fast as possible. Mm-hmm.
0: And we've seen, I think, in the like early days of RPA, when when people were feeding the flowchart low code, um, they were invoking a lot of Python or JavaScript or Java codes, and then we were trying to teach them, okay, no, we want to stick to the way the platform does it and then I think similar way with the robot framework that you have at RoboCorp, make sure that people follow that structure and then leverage Python um, and then, I, I mean it's a very interesting space um, like you mentioned and it's, it's a very good blend of business users adopting tech skills and techies adopting the RPA skill set and then them cutting together and actually solving the business problems. So like um, I think If we look back, right, like a few years, five years ago, the industry changed a lot. Um, And right now, we've seen a lot of different vertical um, impact of the RPA, as well as the product stack growing to become like a platform approach as well, like um, like especially for an enterprise where they have a full automation lifecycle. now that um, all of the companies are interested in how to solve their business problems based on each of the stages in that life cycle. So how do you see right now, the industry evolving over time? Like what's it going to be like uh, based on your experience in interacting with the community, the users and customers, where, where yeah. do you think it's heading to right
1: now? So, So what we saw a few years back um, a lot of the the first generation platforms started adding a lot of these sort of uh, functional areas that are close to RPA itself. It started with the with the desktop automation, kind of moved to the back office automation, uh, unattended side. You started getting the center of excellence in the enterprise being involved rather than you know mostly the citizen developers in the early phase, and then uh, now adding on top of that, you know, API automation. IDP, um, chatbot capabilities, these kind of things, and and so as we speak to our enterprise customers, what they what what they tell us is that you know there you know space for instance in IDP is moving so rapidly that you know why why stick with a single platform vendor when you can you know choose your best vendor in in each of these categories and kind of be, build a best of breed solution. So that's been our strategy all along that we, we want to just focus on building the best possible platform for RPA itself, which is a core capability. You know, Being able to deploy bots that can act as, as uh, digital workers in, in an enterprise setting. And then having uh, interfaces and APIs on the control room level, on the orchestration level that allow you to plug in API automation and, and these other adjacent solutions. So I I think sort of the the monolithic platform is is not going over as as well as as we were thought uh, a few years back and and we are, we are seeing this kind of more uh, mixed approach of hey there's a cool new technology that came you know blew up two years ago uh, or one year ago I want to use it here how can I integrate that with with these RPA capabilities and really what RPA is allowing you to do is in my perspective, it, it's kind of crossing the last mile of a use case in an enterprise. So, so you know, you look at these like uh, new companies coming up, especially with the new AI wave, um, all of them are doing amazing stuff with the generative models, which is, I, I think, amazing. And, I, you know, we, we can talk more about that, how that applies to us. But then, you know, if you go to see the demos they're all okay i have a browser extension and uh, i'm i'm automating between stripe and zendesk and uh, shopify and all of this like huh what if your business doesn't operate in the browser but like uh yeah those those things actually exist and, and so that's where it kind of breaks down and that's where rpa comes in even in the most modern uh, AI-enabled technology to cross the final uh, mile of, of a use case that, that you, you you need to complete. Uh, so, yeah.
0: Yeah, that was a very interesting point actually, because you're right, I think the business, first there's the data security aspect of what you can transmit through the browser. and And then the second, can it scale to the entire organization to use as an automation? Um, I, I think we can touch on that because it's. Um, I think with IDP, for example, and and the ability to have plug and play approach, so you'd be able to integrate any of the maybe IDP, maybe like a predictive analytics, and, and and so forth to be able to integrate that into RPA platform, and RPA is kind of the information transmitter and then the trigger uh, to to start those uh, tasks and and process automations. Um, So how how do you see in terms of the, um, like the scalability of RoboCorp's integration then in that case, because if you think about it, uh, especially tying so a little bit of generative tech, uh, since the platform is based on Python, you'd be able to integrate, uh, I would assume, gbd 3 or maybe stable diffusion and help, with a low code interface that can maybe generate some code and whatnot, and increase and increase the um, like speed to build for the developers' time. So, what what are some of the things that you're seeing?
1: Yeah, so so uh, you know, us being based on, on on Python and also being code native. So when we talk about low code, what we do is we have a low code app or bot builder that generates code in the back end. So it's all in the in the sort of code model at the end of the day. So so right now, today what we can do is tap into things like code generation models, uh, you know, co-pilot, all of that stuff, you know, do things like, okay, hey, explain this piece of code to me or or create documentation, I had an error, can you help me fix it? These kind of things. But but as as there's this conveyor belt of innovation that's that's rolling really fast right now. I would say that, you know, in a in a year, I mean, it's hard to predict these timelines. But in a in a year or two, we we should be able to see that, you know, you you can you can pretty much draft a bot by prompting. Uh, you know, I have a, this is my outline of a business task. Help me build an outline. Okay, here you are. Okay, this function needs to do that. This needs to do that go and try it out didn't work okay, catch the error, help me fix it stuff like that and then you put it in an automated loop and all of a sudden you you kind of like have the the bot build itself uh, and then you're running in production oh gee, I hit an error. What's that about go and, go and explain it to yeah. me. how do I fix it so so in a in a in a in in a short while we actually might be in a situation where you can build Python-based bots without actually having to know how to code too much at all and doing it like in in like 20% of the time that it will take you to do it manually. Um, so so that's pretty interesting outlook in, in our space. And then uh, kind of jumping from the developer to to going into the actual capabilities themselves what the automations can do that's another topic so by the way we, when we talk about RPA um, you know I think there's like interesting new transformer models coming out especially we're we are following uh, adept AI pretty closely which is trying to kind of build the action layer for for this um, uh, language models so actually being able to take action on on applications in digital work but that's not still there yet so we haven't seen anything come out. Uh, but but in RPA, it's, it's sort of heavily rule-based in a way. When, when you go into a bank and say that, okay, I want to deploy a digital worker that needs to complete this action, break it down into code, audit the code, make sure that it does every step of the way what you expect it to do, and it does it the same way every time. You don't want to kind of let an uh, model loose in in your enterprise systems that that you you're not 100 sure what it's gonna do. So I I think the code is gonna be there whether that's human written or not. Uh, that's my prediction at, at least today. Ask me tomorrow if I'm still thinking about it the same way. But then on on the on the capability side, we'll see you know rapid uh, iteration of of capabilities that 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 we see the bots being able to do. Right now, it's good for these language models are good for summarizing, uh, condensing information, maybe generating a uh, certain type of answers. You know, you would see that uh, customer support work is, is kind of prime example of where we can apply it today. Uh, legal work, case management, um, stuff like that. We, we we have sort of these use cases where we we see that uh, today's models are, are good. But then you kind of... S- start going into this like really in, interesting area of sort of close to like emergent capabilities when you start chaining together these models. So you, you might give it some capabilities, you, you might chain together answers from another model to another model and, and sort of have them play together as an agent. It, it's, it's almost like watching some something emergent happen there uh, b- between that. There's projects like LangChain that are uh, in, enabling some of that work, um, which which are all, by the way, based on Python. So it's kind of playing the in the native field uh, where where we are. So so I, I think uh, the ecosystem choice on our side is definitely helping here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean that that's a very interesting point. And and one thing that stands out is also the the ability of generative tech to. Not only create content but also identify the pain problems in the process itself or like maybe address some of the issues related to auto healing or Mm -hmm. finding where the bugs are at and then and then fixing the bug by writing the code themselves and then, then maybe it goes through some q a through a developer's approval but it can really accelerate that
1: uh, that process, right? I've I've heard stories about auto healing bots like so many times, basically retry loops. But I <laughs> I think I think we are actually there where we could see some of that come to reality in yeah. not so uh, you know not so far away in the future. Where you know I've seen uh, a, a language model create a a Python code and and run it, gives out an error, then says okay there's an error, fix that error, and then go modify the code, run again until it actually does what it has to do. Uh, and that's like today. Which is
0: awesome. And, and I think it's the, like like you said, I think auto healing has been an urban legend uh, for a very long time. And I think now maybe the generative take it makes it possible. And it's only one of the use cases. Um, like from your exposure, like I think the core product stack Um, Because it's Python-based, it's it's very integrable, right? It's very fluid, and it can keep up with the new technologies that are coming up. As as you guys are building and integrating, like, what are some industries that are, like, the most resistant to change, right? Like, for example, or they, like, they they resist to the new idea, you know, or they resist to that integration or that solution proposal, and and, then and 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 obviously it's two-handed, right they're the most resistant ones, and they are the least resistant ones
1: more open to change like how how
0: do you see that? Um,
1: yeah uh, it's a good question. Um, well, when we talk about, let's say financial institutions, we have some great customers, uh, you know banks uh, doing really cutting edge stuff with, with our technology, really taking off in 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 growth. Uh, but at the same time, uh, try going through a new vendor onboarding in a bank. It's it's uh, like pulling teeth, and and it's for good reason. Obviously, it's is is there's there's compliance and process in place for a good reason. But uh, but I, I think there's so many uh, customers and and people who want to talk to us and 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 would love to use the tech, but then oh gee, I need to go through uh, procurement. I need to go through legal. I need to go through compliance and and well you know that's our business uh at the end of the day as a as a as a tech company to to make sure that every you know you know box is crossed and and we we have everything tight and 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 uh, controlled so so you know unfortunately a, a big part of the the value prop has to be uh compliance security robustness that 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 we provide so no, no way to go about that. And coming back to the the new stuff happening in the in the cutting edge of the uh, of the new AI wave is I, you know, I I'm I'm just like waiting to be able to apply that to to these companies. But then I I know what the hurdle to to actually get in, so. So I, I would just say that it's it's not necessarily the, the the people in in the companies, but but the nature of the business itself and and the rigorous compliance they're under is is, is making them resistant to, to change. And uh, it, it's sort of a good good thing for for new companies out there who are kind of imagining what would be possible in today's world is is also realizing that oh, when you when you actually want to deliver, it, you you need to go through this all, all of this. And so so that's why I'm I'm kind of excited about Robocorp as a as a sort of company who've been been here for for a few years already. We have the, the enterprise customer base. We we kind of know how to operate there. We have all the all the you know checks in place. So so now actually being able to take uh, new and emerging technologies, this company is super exciting. Mm-hmm
0: i think it's the the adoption like of a new technology takes time for a company and then then as the customers take their time their competitors adopt the technology and then it really gives that competitor the edge to to probably capture certain market share um, and then that really, after that, when I mean, they're like, okay, maybe we should start to think differently. And then there's this chat GPT, maybe we should adopt it, right? Like, no, like it's very, there's the high portion of the tech coming. And then there is the competitive portion, as well as actually solving the business pain problem and then addressing that on time portion, which I think the latter happens only for a few smart customers that really think, forward yeah Uh, you
1: always you always need to have the lighthouse customers who's forward looking enough to to take the leap and then we have customers who first conversation they said to us that hey this is a new thing right yes it's a new thing we never do anything first come back in a year (laughs) 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 that's fine (laughs) we're happy to come back after a year as long as we, we get the first brave ones to jump ahead yeah I'd like
0: to take the I mean, the discussion to a little bit of the like generative tech and 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 then RoboCorp and also some touching on the regulations and um, maybe ethics of AI portion of things as well. Um, like I think, and obviously within our in our space in RPA, um, like generative tech's benefits are are not as broad as. Um, like asking the chat GPT to write a blog post, but we can ask it to write an SDD or a PDD or generate a process map um, or, or use codecs and then uh, and then create some code. Um, whereas in the marketing world or in the design thinking world, you can actually create a compelling article and it can have bias, it can have... Um, you know, certain conflict of opinion or maybe not factual or getting the facts wrong. But like, what what are some of the things that if we were to apply a generative tech within RPA, like beyond generating code and documentation, like some maybe regulative or like ethics of AI type of discussions that we may face that maybe we don't think about
1: today? Mm, Interesting. Um, you know, there's the question of bias how how you how you prompt the model, what kind of bias it, it has. Also, the learning data itself, um, and then by the way, copyright issues is is like you know that's a, that, that's a that's a thing that has been in in discussion. It's like okay, you you thought you know you you pulled all this data uh, into this model, and now it's, it's making stuff up based on your your creative output. Um, you know is is that right like are we are we actually allowed to even do that and uh so so that's that's the obvious obvious thing but then you know I, I would imagine that you know in in the first stages of uh, applying all of this especially in our domain it's it's going to be uh, human in the loop type of uh, interactions uh when when you cannot explain the model uh, in in any reasonable way or cannot you kind of can't really know what, what it's going to come up with. Uh, there's no way to to really give control over to it. And and by the way, leaping from text generation or to actual action in the in the in the real digital world, it, it's still something that hasn't hasn't been done uh, to to you know really meaningful extent. And that's that's something that I think when when we see that that genie come out of the box at some point it'll be next wave of transformation that's going to happen uh super interesting to see that but but right now uh you you can kind of give skills to the 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 models and they they can kind of play against these skills and and make stuff already happen but but doing that in a in a business context where you're actually liable for the actions if you if you don't not going to have any any human in the loop it'll it'll not not go well most most likely um we've we've seen this like uh the the google uh demo that they did we, we was barred that, that oh, you yes. know that, yeah uh, fave live and it's like okay you don't know what's gonna happen <laughs> uh so so it's it's you know in a way scary business if you if you kind of just let it loose um and and you you're kind of liable at the end of the day it's 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 not not something that i, I I, I think we're not, we're gonna see this year, <laughs> but yeah. next next year.
0: <laughs> I, I agree with that. Maybe this, maybe the risks um, risk really overpass the rewards. Um, if F Bart or ChatGPT says the wrong thing in the name of an enterprise, then it can be really problematic, and detrimental for them. It's the like human in the loop is an interesting one in in two angles. I think the first is content needs to be moderated um, by a human before you push it forward and then the second is maybe it can augment into the attended automation more right like for example in attended automation like running triggers for front office for running maybe um, um, like a contact center agent going into their control center and then Around me, this automation to pull up the billing about this customer. So maybe recognizing that from the text within the conversations or within maybe some text inputs by a um, agent itself, it can help the communication with robot and human better. Um, again, to what extent, maybe not this year, <laughs> but yeah. it could be maybe one potential area as well.
1: And the speech recognition stuff is also so powerful right now. You can transcribe every conversation, have them in 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 the you know customers file, and then go through and and when there's the next conversation, summarize what's what's been already discussed in five bullet points. Mm-hmm. And do that you know live while you are interacting with the with the person on the phone.
0: So what what was the first thing you uh, wrote in in GPT?
1: <laughs> I asked. It probably to uh, write up a short uh, some some kind of a short automation script using Robocop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not surprised about that. <laughs> yeah, probably probably that was the thing. <laughs> then I then I've been using it uh, prolifically to to write up uh, you know stuff on on um, various. Uh, I haven't fully written a blog with it, but inspiration um, and then you know, for, I think I wrote the, the Christmas uh, greeting for, for the company <laughs> with, with that, but I, I still felt it wasn't like the right tone. So so I had to modify, but stuff like that. It's very really cool to play with. And, and oftentimes when you kind of out of ideas for something, you, you ask it to, hey, you know, generate me five ideas for this and that. But but, you know, it's, sometimes it feels like uh, lacking a bit of originality, you know, especially when you're in a narrow domain. I could see, it like, for marketing use, it's, it's absolutely, you know, wonderful to, to have that kind of a, uh, you know, ghostwriter, which is going to be 99% better than most PR agencies will be able to do. But, I mean, um, yeah, I I'm, I don't want to insult any PR agencies here. So, hope they're using it. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I see your point. I think to to have a critical thinking about how the industry is going to shape or how it's going to address some of the pain problems, what are some of the gaps, and then what are solutions to fix those gaps is like you're 100% right, I think. Oh, yeah. Original
1: thinking. Yeah, original thinking after 2022. (laughs) That's that's what (laughs) it's (laughs) lacking. Yes. So, so for a little bit
0: to think about the, um, the thing, conversation from RPE to AI, but more to of, of you as a startup founder running the business, um, and then you guys have a global team right now. And then you mentioned earlier to me that as fully remote. Um, so what were some of the challenges as well as the um, like the benefits of running a fully remote company? And, and again, um, if, were were you fully remote before COVID as well, or was it something that COVID triggered? Um, may yeah. speak to it a little bit.
1: Yeah, we we started out as a fully remote team a bit between the founders because we we weren't in the same cities. Even though we were kind of close to each other, we weren't in the same city. So we started out as a fully remote operation anyway, and uh, hired the, the first employees. At some point, people started asking for an office, and was like, "Oh, we we need an office." I'm like what do you do there? uh we we got a small office in in uh in Helsinki where we had hired some developers. We had an office in SF but then um uh, with with covid we we really didn't develop any office culture to to begin with. It was just a you know few people would would go in there and and, and work. so it was never never the full company in the same place in in the first place um with with covid. We we pulled out all the stuff. So so we just I, I was I remember this decision. I was it was the first summer and I was driving somewhere and and I was thinking that man, this this could take you know six months, twelve months, two years, who knows? Like for a startup, that's gonna be forever anyway. So so we, we just need to think that this is gonna be the the way we operate forever. And uh it wasn't a hard change by by any means, but it just allowed us to to unconstrained where we hire so so we could start hiring from different countries like for development work we hire different countries in europe trying to keep them close with time zones um then for for go to market that's natural to to build that team in the us for you know a lot of our customer bases but we still cover europe as, as well with, with the people we have and then um, then now that we have been extending our partner operations, we have pretty extensive, you know, partner channel already. You know, it's is you know they will have a lot of people in India. So so having people you know boots on the ground, being able to you know get together and actually meet face to face there, it's it's a huge benefit. So so just being kind of close to where the customers are, where the partners are, where the, you know. Development talent is and, and and being able to choose from from those without being constrained to to that uh, sort of office location. I, I wouldn't be able to pull together like as as many talented developers we have in in Helsinki, for instance. And if I would pull that together in San Francisco, we wouldn't have any money left. So so that's, <laughs> that's, so that's that that's where we are at right now. And then kind of the disadvantages of it. It's um, when when you're you know. When you have like big changes, you may need to make in, in let's say strategy or, or or the direction of the company. It would be great to just pull everyone together and hey, let us let's, let's just talk about this. I have this thing, you know, we, we want to change X, Y, and Z. And now you you need to call an all hand Zoom meeting, and and it, it doesn't really convey the energy or the or the same uh, same kind of message. Oftentimes, are uh, really. Uh, you know i would i would love to have like uh you know everyone working in sales in the same office and, and and just have the energy there sharing all the interactions stuff like that uh but but you need to compensate with with um having in person interactions whenever possible doing offsites and and uh, team offsites and, and those kind of things and then like going out and meeting customers in person like you know that's that's the thing that actually is is really good uh not not trying to do sales fully fully remote is, is a is a great thing to thing to do that but I, I would also add that um what what remote model actually allows is you to do when you fully embrace it. When you have you don't have the the central hub where okay this is where the management team sits and then people are remote. No, don't do that because that'll imply that you'll have to be in the central location if you wanna be sort of close to where the decisions are made. So if the headquarter is online and everyone is committed to that, um, that sort of creates equal opportunities to people from everywhere they, they are around the world to participate fully in the company and really have an equal opportunity to also get promoted, get ahead in their, their career. It, even without being, you know, part of the headquarters somewhere, because, you know, that would be the, the, the worst kind of setting. It's like you have the sort of the management team here, like nice office somewhere. And then yeah. hire developers wherever they are, or hire sales reps wherever they are. That doesn't work. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think the, like, the in a fully remote company, the information transmittance, like from two person and how that information changes over time as it's been told to the fifth guy or the fifth person in the in the chain and if it's retained as the same identical thing then that's great but if it slowly gets modified and then more perspectives add more perspectives add then it can really change that like strategy uh, perspective um, so, so that, that said we uh, we're almost at time. Um, First, I'd like to thank you very much for taking the time and joining the call and sharing your perspectives and opinion. And I know it's a little late in Helsinki, so I also appreciate um, you taking that hour uh, with me to speak about uh, your experience about RPA, AI, the future, remote teams. Um, it's It's been a pleasure to have you and speak to you.
1: Yeah, thank you so much.